0: God, we're grateful for the joy of being here today. Grateful for the privilege of singing together great hymns of the faith, great songs that that make our hearts sing. Grateful also for the joy of, uh, of praying together, coming to you, our audience of one, and sharing our hearts with you. And God, we're grateful for the privilege of participating in a baptism today. So grateful for Ellie for her desire to be your follower. And God, I pray now that as we open your word together, that it might be something that's significant. Help us not to just go through the motions because that's what we're supposed to do at this time in the service every Sunday morning. But I pray that it might become alive to us, that it might uh, be something that uh, really makes a difference in our lives as individuals, as well as our life together as a community of faith. Speak to us now. Speak to the people and the preacher alike. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Writer and national public radio commentator, Heather King, who is a recovering alcoholic, who has come to a faith in Christ, reflected on her initial experience in a church. She says, my first impulse was to think my God, I don't want to get sober. Or in case of the church, worship. And these nutcases or boring people or people with different politics, tasting music, food, books, or whatever. Nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown together with extremely unpromising people. People who are broken, misguided, wishy washy, out for themselves, people who are us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way we want to be. We come because we have staked our souls on the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. We come because we be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals, that he loves us or that he loves everyone else. Isn't it amazing the way in which God calls very different people from different situations in life to become a part of the body of Christ the church. As the body of Christ, we must follow the example of Jesus, the one who is the suffering servant, who by his death, life, and resurrection sets the standard or the example for all of us. Just as different parts of our bodies must be united if they're going to function to provide health for us, so the body of Christ must be united. In his prayer the night before he died, Jesus prays for his disciples, and he also prays for our unity. Listen to the last part of his prayer in John 17, verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Hey, that's us that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you get the idea of what Jesus was praying about here? If we are to follow his example, we are to have the same kind of unity that is present in his relationship with God the Father. It will be our unity that draws the outside world to him. And conversely, it is our disunity, it's when we're fractured, that the world around us says, why would I want to be a part of that? The apostle, uh, one of the great things that uh, the Roman church has, and I don't know if you've noticed it, uh, uh, and some of us might not consider it a great thing because it's foreign to us, but they, they have icons, and, and one of these icons has Father, Son, Holy Spirit all standing together, holding hands, and it's called perichoresis, which is the Greek word for circle dance, expressing the unity of the Trinity together. The Apostle Paul understood well the importance of unity when in Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians, he described the church as the body of Christ. Likewise, as he writes his wonderfully positive letter to the church of Philippi, a church that he loved very much, he underscores how crucial it is for them to be united. There has been some kind of conflict among them And there are two women, could have been men just as easily, but there are two women who are arguing with each other, Iodia and Syntyche, threatening the unity of that great church. Paul must have felt helpless as he wrote this correspondence from a prison cell in Rome. So as he writes Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, he lifts up Jesus The one who will become the suffering servant as the example of the unity that we're talking about. I'd like you to follow along with me as I read from Philippians 2, 1 through 4. It's a passage which Liz read this morning and a passage which we can't read too often. A passage which is so important to us where we are not only this day, but every day. Listen for the word of the Lord. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. May God add his blessing and his application upon this, the reading of his holy inspired word. In verse 1, Jesus, the suffering servant, should be the motivation for our unity. Some scholars would say that it's on the basis of Paul's relationship with the Trinity, that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he's making this plea for unity. One biblical scholar, Gordon Fee, suggests verse 1 offers the basis of the appeal for unity, which has to do apparently with his own Trinitarian experience of God. Christ's comfort or Christ's encouragement, God's love, and then their common sharing in the Spirit. Did you catch that idea of Trinity? If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, God, if any fellowship with the Spirit. There's also the undeniable sense in which Jesus, as he walked here in the dust of this earth, freely exhibited encouragement, comfort from love, fellowship with the Spirit, and tenderness and compassion. In each of these strongly relational words or actions, Jesus is setting the standard of what we should be like. Each of them is very important in promoting the unity of the body of Christ. It's Jesus' example that should motivate the church of Philippi, but it's also his example that should motivate us here at Zionsville, so that we might be united and be a witness to the watching world. There should be a sense of encouragement as we live life together in the body of Christ in this place. Anytime you are here or sharing in the life of this body in any way with another person from ZPC, you should be giving each other courage to live wherever you are, in whatever season you find yourself in this life. It's a shame that far too often that hasn't taken place here and in many churches in our world. In fact, often I fear that we go away discouraged. We come together with a sense of expectancy to joyfully worship God and serve him, and sometimes we leave disappointed. Oh, I pray that that might not be true. There should also be a deep comfort which comes from knowing that we are loved by God and loved by others. Far too often, because we're a fractured body, we experience pain and discomfort. There should be a unifying fellowship of the Holy Spirit knitting us together in wondrous ways, even though we may be unlikely and diverse, as Heather King suggested at the beginning. Far too often, we feel more disconnected and alone after we've shared times with others in the body of Christ. And it should not be so. Our moments together should reek with a sense of tenderness and compassion if we are authentically following Jesus' example. Instead, sometimes we feel more hurt and broken when we've been together. Sisters and brothers, the evil one has a heyday when he plants seeds of disunity in our midst. Jesus, the suffering servant, who gave his life for us, provides for us a motivation for unity. In verse 2, Jesus, the suffering servant, sets example for our unity. The verse is dripping with emotion, as much of the Philippians is, If you want to read a book that is dripping with emotion, that is a a book that is so uplifting, it's a thank you note to the church of Philippi, Uh, Philippians is a good place to look. Paul is hundreds of miles away, and he's pleading with the Philippians, then you can make my joy complete. Or if you want to make me really happy as I sit here biding my time in jail, here's what you need to do. Then Paul passionately shares three actions he would like them to take, all of them centered in the common unity or the community of faith. He says, first, being like-minded. Now, that doesn't mean we all have to have the same opinions. It doesn't mean we all have to have the same preferences, that we all have the same concerns. What it does mean is that we have a strong desire to be reunited in the truth, and our eyes are focused primarily on Jesus. It means not majoring in the minor, which can take our eyes off of Jesus. These are the same words that are spoken to Eodia and Syntyche in chapter 4 and verse 2. Usually it's not the major things that separate us anyway. It's often the minor things. We will flesh out this concept a little bit more next week as we look at verses 5 through 11 of this wonderful chapter. This passage is set up, the next passage we're going to look at is, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, or have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. The second thing he mentions here is having the same love, so not only being like-minded, but having the same love. They should have the same love that God had for them when he sent Jesus to come to our world. They should have the love that is, has the idea of agape, which is the strongest word of all of the four Greek words for love. It has the idea of giving ourselves completely without expecting remuneration, without expecting reward in any way. It's the first fruit of the Spirit, which all, and all of the rest of them grow from that one fruit. If we are filled with the Spirit then by God's grace, we should have the same love uniting us together. Nothing erodes this kind of love more than internal friction and infighting. Conversely, nothing breaks up backpiting and melts internal strife more than that warm, passionate love of God, which drew us to God in the first place. Then he says, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul is saying that the Philippians should be united, united as they move in the same direction, seeking to fulfill the same goals. The spirit and purpose must always be wrapped within them, with it wrapped in being like the suffering servant, this Jesus and seeking with every ounce of energy that they have to bring honor and glory to him. That should be the major thing. There must be a singular focus which transcends everything else. For us as a church, this is really important in this season of transition. We must be united in a laser-like focus of making disciples and releasing disciples out into the broken world And I believe that we do that through Vision 2020, which we've been talking about a lot. One of the great thinkers of the 20th century, Abraham Maslow, who brought a huge shift in the field of psychology with this theory of self-actualization. And I might mention that he said Jesus was one of the most self-actualized people of history in uh, uh, in his estimation. But to summarize Maslow's findings, he wrote, Without exception... I found that every person who was sincerely happy, radiantly alive, was living for a purpose or cause beyond himself. Wow. That's what we have as followers of Jesus, a purpose or a cause that is beyond ourselves. Oh, dear friends, it's that one being one in spirit and purpose seeking with every ounce of energy we possess to follow Jesus' example and to glorify him. Finally, in verses 3 and 4, Paul shares three of the most common obstacles to unity. See if they sound familiar. He writes to his beloved Philippians, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. The first obstacle here is self-ambition. Here Paul is not talking about so much about advancing the work of the betterment of the body, but for their own personal gains. It's that inner drive to achieve success, to gain personal recognition, rather than seeing the body accomplish its desired purpose. Paul, as we realize today, knew how subtle that ambition could be. It only takes one or two people in a body who possess that kind of personal ambition, that desire for self-aggrandizement, that diverts the whole focus of the body from following Jesus to lifting up one or two people. I must admit to you that this has been an obstacle for me throughout my ministry. As a competitive person, with more drive than I should have at times, I've been guilty of selfish ambition, wanting to be the pastor of a large, prestigious church. When that happened, I was more focused sometimes on filling the plate or filling the pew, that is attendance and finances, than I was on following the example of Jesus and glorifying God. While rationalizations were plentiful, If the truth be known, the unity of the people that I served was probably suffering. Through the years, ambition has been one of those things that I list often in my prayers of confession. How about you? The second obstacle is united, the obstacle of being united in the body is vain conceit. Scottish biblical scholar, William Barclay says of this obstacle, there is a desire for personal prestige, the desire for empty glory. It is in many ways true to say that prestige for many people is even greater temptation than wealth. To be admired, to be respected, to have a platform seat, to have one's opinion sought, are for many people the most desirable things. Paul knew that kind of vain conceit or desire for personal prestige was a subtle way for the evil one to fracture the body. Sometimes when we don't get enough recognition at work or we don't get enough recognition at home or in our community, we seek that recognition in the church. And if that's the case, we do everyone harm. The third obstacle is self interest. Each of you should not look only to each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. But we don't know exactly the person or the problem that Paul might have been alluding to. Maybe the Philippians did. We do know that human nature causes people to look out for number one. That's what we're taught to do. Look out for number one. Unity is impossible if our focus is getting only what we want and not what's best for the body. We aren't one in spirit and purpose when we are seeking our own ways. It's interesting and quite revealing to realize that these three obstacles are exactly 180 degrees or in the opposite direction of Jesus and the kind of life that he lived as a suffering servant, and again next week, we're going to see maybe the best passage ever written about who Jesus was and what he came to do. In 1988, I went to a conference at the University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. It was called Pieces of the Dream. It was there that I made a significant discovery in self-awareness as the senior pastor, Bruce Larson, a person I greatly admired, confessed that he was a hopeless relational theologian. He said, I don't really fit in anyone's niche or anyone's category. I guess I'm just a relational theologian. I resonated with that idea. It's all about relationships, first with God and then with one another, the vertical as well as the horizontal. With that said, you can imagine how I felt on one of my first days here when I heard Don Patterson say with his passionate mantra, it's all about relationships, I immediately felt that I must be in the right place for this season in my life. This week I read about a Harvard study that began way back in 1937 which searched for the factors which contribute to human well-being and happiness. They started with 268 Harvard men, who, as well as they could see, were healthy and well-adjusted. and For 42 of those 72 years of that study, a psychiatrist named George Valiant directed the project. In 2008, when he was asked what he learned from this amazing research project, which lasted all of those years, he said it's simple. The secret to happiness was the only thing that really matters in life are our relationships to other people. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I believe that the first century scholar and writer, Paul of Tarsus, would say a similar thing. If we, as the body of Christ, are going to impact the world around us, we must be united It's all about relationships. While we may come from different backgrounds and have different preferences and different opinions on many issues, we must be united in following the example of the suffering servant, even Jesus our Lord. With our eyes focused on Jesus, we must be like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. We must not allow ourselves to be filled with selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. We must put aside self-interest and be wrapped up in the interests of others. This week, as most of you know and we've alluded to earlier, the session of ZPC, realizing that we, are a different, we were a different church five years ago, looking and look toward how we, what we need to be and how we need to be staffed for the future. They started with the leadership team, where there are now four of us, and said that we really only need two people, realizing that our numbers are half of what they were, realizing that the new senior pastor would fill one of those positions, and we've just uh, elected a search committee to begin looking for that person last week we needed to reduce our numbers by three. This reduction wasn't based upon performance, but on the session's prayerful projection of what was needed for the future. While very, very difficult decisions were made, the session, in a beautiful way, was like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, there was a wonderful sense of unity, even though there were different scenarios that were presented, and even though different differences were shared. In the next month, the session will also be looking at the remainder of the staff with the same eye on what we need for the future. During this time of transition, it's so important that we're united, following the example of the suffering servant our Lord Jesus Christ. As I think about how we should be united, this week I read about a mystery that is, that is found in God's created order, and I believe that speaks to us about the unity of the church. Let me read it. For years, scientists were baffled by the mystery of floating fire ants. You say, uh-oh, where is he going with this? When placed in water, an individual fire ant will flounder, struggle, and eventually sink. But when fire ants band together, they form life rafts that help them survive the flash floods of the Brazilian rainforest. As a unified raft, they can even travel for months before reaching dry land. An article in the Los Angeles Times summarized a new research study that has unlocked the secret of this natural mystery. After collecting a bunch of ants, scientists dropped them into containers of water. The ants quickly spread out and formed themselves into rafts. Each individual ant used its claws and the adhesive pads on their legs to grip onto each other. One researcher said, at first it looks like a tangle of bodies and limbs everywhere. But the longer you look at the picture, the more you're able to distinguish between different body parts and see the connection." then the insects use air pockets that form around their bodies to keep themselves afloat. The article concluded, the research sheds light on how deeply social insects act together, almost as if they're a part of a superorganism. As one scientist said, the individuals acting together create this awareness of the environment that no individual ant has. As we think of this, the New Testament often speaks, and Paul here speaks, of our need to be connected to fellow believers in order to survive and to grow spiritually. Alone we can sink, but clinging and growing together in Christ, we can ride out any storm that comes our way. Oh, dear friends, I believe that God is calling us in the most positive of ways to start all over again, I've shared this vision with you a couple of weeks ago. Like the new church which was founded over 30 years ago now here in this place, we need to build a caring community where every person is loved, cared for, valued and needed. We need to be a place where people grow deeper in their relationship with God through study and worship, especially in small groups. We must be a people who lose themselves in hands-on service to a broken world, caring for all kinds of people with all kinds of needs and doing that on behalf of our Lord Jesus. With numbers in worship and giving and in staff down, more than ever, it's important to pull together in common unity. As I said before, most new church developments or new church plants Would feel unbelievably blessed to have what we have. God has given us more than enough to accomplish everything He wants for us to accomplish. The variable is not with God and His resources, His faithfulness. The variable is with us. Are we willing to lay aside our understandings of the past? Are we willing to lay aside our personal agendas? and goals, and allow the Holy Spirit to knit us together in perfect unity. Let us pray. God, I'm so grateful for your word which speaks to us in all times and seasons. Grateful for this opportunity to share together in the service of worship today. And I pray that your word might continue to speak to us. May it kind of work in our minds this week. May this passage especially continue to draw us together as a community of faith to be all that you want us to be. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for its wonderful history, and I thank you for its great future. Continue to bind us together. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.